You're listening to Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about classic movies. And today, we are going to uh, end off season one at a glorious 40-something episodes. I don't know exactly how many it is. It's like 45-ish or something. Uh, but this is going to be the surprise ending of season one of Classic Movies Live. Today, we are giving Nicholas Winding Refn a second chance after our Valhalla Rising episode. Uh, we're going to talk about Drive. Um, this is, I guess, with this movie, we have technically talked about three important car movies now that we've talked about Ford v. Ferrari, Need for Speed, and also Drive. We still haven't talked about Rush, but who knows what season two might hold. Here is a song off the soundtrack of Drive. This is Real Human Being, I think is what it's called. Anyway, that's the chorus, so sing along. to yet another episode of Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live. And this is a very special episode for us, as all of them are, because uh, you may have noticed that on the last one we didn't do our Wheel of Movies. That is because, you know, actually there's, this is a special episode for a lot of reasons. Let me, let me intro with why this is a special episode. This is going to be the last episode of what we're calling Season 1 which I think up to this point has had like 45 episodes and has lasted for well over a one calendar year. <laughs> so like, I'm not entirely sure what seasons mean, but as of the next episode, you should be able to find us both on SoundCloud where you can already listen to us and on Spotify, where by the time this episode goes up, it is likely that what should canonically be the next episode is already up as are potentially other ones afterwards. Not 100% sure, because we're recording this before any of that has happened, but um, we have recorded the next couple of episodes, and I'm putting them up on Spotify in the very near future here. So, sort of a race to see, to see where we're at. So today, um, also, also, as I mentioned, you did not hear about the Wheel of Movies in the last episode. The reason for that is... Uh, I think two episodes ago, was it two episodes ago? Might've been three. I think it was two episodes ago. We did a movie by Nicholas Winding Refn called Valhalla Rising. Um, we did this, so I, I sort of forced my hand there, um, or I, like, I kind of forced us into that to some degree because I saw Nicholas Winding Refn and I said, let's do a movie that he wrote and directed and produced and everything was just him, which is fair. 
However, what I had not realized is that Pierre had not seen the movie that Nicholas Winding Refn is most well known for, which I think is a movie that kind of needs to be seen. So we're going to talk about that movie today. And um, I think this is, I think we're going to benefit heavily from the fact that we've seen Valhalla Rising. I don't know fully yet. I don't fully know exactly how yet, but uh, it's going to be interesting. We're going to be able to make some comparisons between, you know, the, the movie he's best known for, which was not actually written by him, but was directed by him. And then a movie that was just all him. I think, I think it's going to be interesting to talk about. So anyway, today we're talking about Drive, if that wasn't clear. Pierre, did you see Drive? I hope you saw I Drive. Did. We're talking about it. Yes. Uh, I guess uh, Drive is like a pretty... It was, I guess it's a very Nicholas Winding Refn movie, uh, like from what I've seen before. It's just, it's a very basic movie, uh, very similar, honestly, to uh, Baby Driver. Uh, yeah, that was the first I, impression I got. Like my, the, if I had to describe this movie to someone I had like I'd never seen it before, it'd be like Baby Driver, but more mature. Baby Driver is more mature, older brother, I guess. I uh, kind of think that yeah. like this and Baby Driver are the same movie, but by different directors. Yeah, like, it's, it's the similarities are a little suspicious, honestly. But yeah, like, yeah, the because you know you have this. A uh, sort of lovable main character who is a, 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 a getaway driver who is kind of socially uh, awkward and doesn't really know how to talk, but then he, he really vibes with this one uh, this one girl that he meets who is a waitress and she is also blonde and, and they get along very well. Um, and then eventually, uh, the the kind of the crimes that the drivers committed catch up to him after a while and uh yeah it's just it's very it's very similar i i wouldn't they're very different stylistically though in that uh you know like this is very i i I feel like this is just like what it's a very realistic movie like what would actually seems like what would happen in a scenario where you have a stunt driver doing stuff Um, yeah the crimes in this in drive are very high stakes but very not exciting if that yeah, makes sense. I, I was surprised i was really expecting in a movie called drive that the that that the the driving would be really really intense right but it actually is kind of is just a, a backdrop to the main plot of the movie which is the i guess the main character is just trying to find a way to get with this girl and everything he does just kind of screws them over so uh, like the driving is very, very realistic and undramatic and they don't really spend much time on it. Whereas Baby Driver really glorifies the whole stunt, uh, stunt driving parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, there's like an interesting take on it. Uh, it stars, you know, it has Ryan Gosling as the lead who I want to say this is one of his first lead roles. It might um, be. I'm going to look that up. I, I know he existed before this, but I don't know. Like, this is, to me, this is where Ryan Gosling, like, got on my radar. Yeah, and he played it really well. It was very, very intense. I don't think the, the role really demanded much from him. Um, Ryan Gosling isn't, isn't necessarily, like, needed for this role. I think he's put in better performances, but I think he, I liked his subtle his subtle menace beneath this underneath the surface, I guess. I guess, I guess you're right in that this doesn't necessarily need Ryan Gosling, but I think that like 
for me, this is kind of the defining Ryan Gosling performance. And like, not that Ryan Gosling is necessarily typecast after this, but a lot of the performances he's given since um, have been, have reminded me a lot of, have, have really sort of reminded me a lot of Drive or his character in Drive. He's sort of, in Drive, he's like very deadpan, not emotionless, but like kind of cold, I guess, to reuse a word I keep using now, apparently. Um, <laughs> and um, he's just sort of, there's a lot brewing under the surface, but he's, but he's very, he's kind of an enigma um, in a way, because he's very monotone, sort of. Uh, he, he does that in this movie, and he does that a little bit in La La Land, Though La La Land, he has to be more expressive a lot of the time, but he's sort of still expressive in a deadpan way. Um, and then I would say The Place Beyond the Pines, he does that again. And most, like, I get it, the, I get the biggest post-drive Ryan Gosling vibes from uh, The Big Short, if you remember that. Uh, yes, I do. I, I get, I think he was a lot more enthusiastic in that role actually compared to his because i agree with like definitely la la land uh i don't know crazies i think he was the same in like crazy stupid love but that was like a few years before drive i think it's just part of his like natural charisma crazy um, stupid love was actually the same year as drive oh it was oh never mind yeah so but yeah either way i think it's just like the way he acts i still the only other movie i can see that he he might have been pretty big was like the notebook for him which so I, I need think, to watch that i don't know yeah, what he was like i i don't know i i'm imagining that's probably a very different ryan gosling because that's that is i don't know what his role was like i don't know how big his role was in remember the titans because i also haven't seen it but mm -hmm. like from looking at his filmography i think the notebook might have been his first really big starring role yeah it definitely looks like that. And it would be interesting to see how that stacks up against Drive, which is maybe not his second big starring role. I don't I haven't seen half of these movies between The Notebook and Drive. I haven't seen actually most of them. But like yeah. um after Drive, I did I always compare the characters played by Ryan Gosling that I see to his character in Drive. And like that's not without reason. Like, I don't think that he's played, though he's given quite a decent bit of range since then. He hasn't really played a character that is drastically different in personality from the driver. Yeah, that's fair. Wait, does he not have a name? Is he not given he's a name? Called, he's called the driver. Oh, wow. I That's kind of cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, I, think, I think that's actually part of the... I think that, like, the reason... So, Ryan Gosling is very deadpan, he's not super expressive, and he's very cold in this movie. And I don't think that's... Like, Ryan Gosling plays that well, but I think that's really important to the movie because I think that what Nicholas Winding Refn is trying to do here is that he's sort of making... Um, he wants this driver... I don't think he even wants you to think of Ryan Gosling as the driver. Like, he doesn't want you to leave this movie being like, that was a defining Ryan Gosling performance. So he, he failed at that. But I think that he wants the, his driver to be interchangeable with anyone. Like the driver in this comes across 
more like a video game character or the ideal version of a video game character than maybe in any other movie I've seen I've ever seen because like the point of a video game character a silent protagonist in a video game is that you're supposed to identify with that protagonist by the fact that they don't have a name unless you give them one and they don't say anything and that is kind of the vibe I'm getting from the driver in this movie even though he definitely does have a personality he's sort of as close to a blank slate as this movie will allow. Yeah, I totally see that. I mean, like, I guess having him be kind of socially, I would, I want to say socially, like, void almost, because he doesn't, even when he's, like, falling in love, you don't actually really see him talk at all. Yeah, Um, and I think you mentioned earlier socially awkward, but I don't think socially awkward is necessarily the right word, because... I guess he's kind of awkward, but it's more that, but like, he never has a problem. He never like says the wrong thing or anything. He just sort of doesn't say anything. Exactly. Say yeah. Stuff, yeah. Um, and then also, I guess the whole, he kind of falls in love with this woman, I think pretty quickly, even though there's a lot of, uh, maybe it wasn't quickly. I guess it was, it might've been over a couple months that he falls in love been. with her, but Time it just wasn't a, a great it wasn't a it felt very much like a fairy tale like he was attempting for a fairy tale type scenario because like you know there's just lots of signs that he shouldn't really be in this relationship and that you know she's a married woman mm-hmm. and her husband's in prison which is also like you know kind of a a red flag just in terms of the husband you know i guess it's like that's kind of what sets off the plot of the movie in the first place so we kind of need him to get into that point but Mm-hmm. either way it's just it, it felt a little like he doesn't he's more of a he 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 fantasizes about things rather than being like a very more realistic like he saw yeah. that as like a fairy tale uh romance rather than just like he met this girl and uh she seems to like him i actually I just realized we have been talking about this for a little bit but i don't know that we've actually said what this movie is about it might be clear but you want to summarize this movie real quick um, yeah, I think I talked about it a bit before, but it's basically uh, Ryan Gosling, who is the driver, is a, uh, a a stunt driver by day, and by night he he works with his boss, um, who is played by Brian Cranston, in uh, I guess being the getaway vehicle and in, in some heists that he performs for different people. Yeah, it's uh, unclear what his price is, but for whatever price you give like i don't know it's percent of a cut or some straight number i don't know but he'll wait outside wherever you need him to for five minutes which the obvious implication is that he's going to be your getaway driver and that's what he does but yeah technically he's a guy who waits outside for five minutes for hire yeah so um once uh once he meets this girl that lives in this building is it's his neighbor and she has a child and they kind of fall in love, but then one day her husband comes back and uh, from prison, and he is in trouble with the wrong people, and he needs protection money to pay back, or he needs to pay back uh, the people that protected him in prison, essentially. And they they are basically threatening the family that uh, the driver has has gone on to love and care for. So he he kind of basically he he needs to find a way to protect the 
the family that's not his, but that he kind of embraced. And so um, what he does is he, yeah. he like, the thing is, this dude is, he, he went to prison and he went to prison because he's in with a very bad crowd. And that's the crowd that he needs to pay back. So what Ryan Gosling's character does is he takes on the job for this guy to who's going to just steal the money back or something. And like, he does it under the condition that the people that he's getting the money for are going to just leave him alone. But he does this for free. And it's like an extremely sketchy, dangerous job that is probably not something he'd normally take on. And it sort of bites him in the ass. And that's sort of where this movie, that's where the action of this movie happens, even though that's really just the last third. Yeah. It, well, I guess once this movie gets going, it, it really gets going. It's really slow yeah. at the start. And mm-hmm. it makes up for it in the end, even though it's a pretty slow movie. Uh, this the director uh, Nicholas Nicholas something something uh, <laughs> Winding Ruffin. Uh, he really likes to take his time in movies, and he has some like very uh, long, ominous scenes and shots that uh, don't really feel to have like they have much purpose. And honestly, I couldn't t- really tell you that they do. But it's I think it's more part of just building the experience of the movie. Yeah, and, I've got some uh, stuff yeah. to say about that when we later on when we get to sure, comparing yeah. some things. Movies. Um yeah, so like I, I personally didn't love the pacing in this. I thought I thought it was pretty boring at the start. And I guess the I personally I really wish the driving scenes were more interesting. I just because he kept being hyped up hyped up as this amazing driver, but I never really see anything that uh assures me of that he just seems like a guy that can drive pretty well you know not not an astounding driver which i think baby driver did very very well of, with yeah even though if it was a little cartoonish um i do but think that was also kind of the point of in baby driver yeah like if you compare the the first scenes in both of these movies are astoundingly similar in mm-hmm. that it's it's a it's a heist and uh, they're escaping from the cops and then they kind of do this uh, park in a parking lot and then switch cars at the last second to get a, to hide from the cops. Mm-hmm. And this movie does this, but like the actual getaway is really, really slow. He's just kind of, instead of a chase, he's just kind of creeping through the city. And once he gets spotted, he there's like a quick burst of, of energy until he loses them like a few seconds later. And yeah, because I would back say and forth until he gets out of there. I could be wrong, but in Baby Driver, like the emphasis is a lot more on the chase. Where in mm-hmm. this movie, it's more like he's good at driving, and also he's good at like driving in the city. So like his whole point is he's your, he's a good get a, getaway driver, not only because he's a good driver, but more importantly because he's stealthy enough to like stay away from the cops. Yeah, exactly. So the emphasis on in these chases is really more on the stealth aspect. Once it becomes a car chase, it's over very quickly because he doesn't want to be in a car chase. Yeah. Which, yeah, which again, that's the more realistic take on this is that you can't really be in a huge car chase with the cops and realistically get away from it. Yeah. They'll probably find you. Um, well, whereas and also the cops have the ability to call in more cops to cut you off. So like, yeah, you will lose that chase probably yeah so it takes well into that it's a, it's a lot more gritty and 
um which which was a good thing mm -hmm. i guess uh i like that that feeling of it it was just like any anyone i guess like you 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 felt a lot of fear for for the characters because so yeah you feel a lot of uh fear for the characters and that's just because everything has that tone of this this could happen in the real world so and that that's really important for the the driver ryan gosling's motivations and that he we need to feel the tension of him wanting to protect this family and also that the just the the sheer unpredictability of what can happen because uh, i guess like the the main plot which is you know him him protecting the family it gets really really dark quick kind of quickly too so and uh i think that really helps the the film's climactic moments really uh i guess feel feel very dramatized because it's it's a very technically like the the ending's very uh it's very small it's very small and personal and that i think it only works because of the kind of the the world and the feel of what we grow to expect towards the end of the movie just from what was set up before with this uh with this gritty tone mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. God. sorry. I, I think I missed the last couple of words you said. Can you just repeat the last thing you said? I'm sorry about oh, that. Oh, no, that's cool. I was just, I was saying that um, the, the climactic moments of this, which are like really, really dark and stuff are helped and work because they are enhanced by what, what has happened before. And that like, what we don't really know what to expect. Uh, yeah. Because and, of how real it is. And I think that like, I mean, you've, you've already said, I'm not going to say too much new here, but like the main crime at the, at the center of everything is that a million dollars is missing from a very influential gangster and Ryan Gosling has ends up having it. And like in a more exciting bombastic movie, that would be nothing. Like there's, it's a million dollars and this gangster is in a, in a more, in a less realistic movie probably dealing in millions and millions of dollars. And yeah, he wants the money back, but like, this isn't something that's life or death. Like he'll either kill the dude or he'll get the money back and then it's all good. But like in yeah. this, that million dollars, which seems like it should be a pittance, I guess, just ends up sort of becoming, well, ends up like ruining the lives of every character in this movie. Yeah. I also, I did like how the villains were... It, they, they reminded me a lot of uh, how the villains were done in, in Uncut Gems and that they were just a couple of old guys. You yeah. know, like they, they, were, they were piped up kind of as these gangsters, but I guess more realistically, the, these are the type of people you deal with when you're dealing with owing, owing, uh, owing people money. You know, it's just like a couple of guys with guns and that aren't really that physically imposing, but they're just, they, they're just living that life. And they know what they're they're smart. They kind of know how it works. Yeah, they know so, what they're doing, yeah. and you do not. Yeah, so that that was a cool touch in that. Like, there wasn't a huge mob that <laughs> that we had to like see the driver kind of deal with. And I guess that's okay. I don't know much about about how the how crime works and stuff like that, but it's it feels more realistic, hmm. I guess. So. Like a uh, little little touches like that were kind of nice, and I I did like how yeah the the last the last moments are they're just really raw. Like everything, there's not really much music, like dramatic music. There's some good uh there's some good 
like soundtrack songs throughout the movie that I really liked. But, oh yeah, the, there's a lot to say about the soundtrack. Yeah, but the final the final moments are very very uh, personal and just kind of uh, depressingly real. So, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess I yeah I really appreciate that because like again as I said before it's like it's like Ryan Gosling's wants to believe he's living in this fairy tale world but and, and like in like the world of a movie essentially but the reality is he's not and in the end he has to make sacrifices that he never thought he would and the, the i don't think the audience expected that he would have to at first but then as the movie goes on we along with the driver start to realize that this isn't the world that we initially believed it to be when we first started watching the movie mm-hmm so yeah, I uh, props for that. I like that stuff. Yeah, so I think like that's really all there is to say about the movie in terms of like plot and stuff like that. I guess the other thing I would mention is that this movie even though it actually doesn't feature it that heavily, this movie is like single-handedly responsible for the renaissance of synthwave in after 2011. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. I, I I noticed. I love the synth songs in this movie. They're all really yeah. good. Uh, it's got it's got "Night Call" by Kavinsky, which is like a huge, which became like an instant mega hit after this song, at least on the internet. And then it also has uh, I don't remember what it who the art, artist is, but real human being. And then aside from that, just in the soundtrack and also like in the score is just lots of synth. And also the aesthetics of this movie just fit that really well. So I feel like this movie almost, it's telling a story, yes, but even more than that, it's just kind of creating a vibe. And I think that that's why this movie is so fondly remembered because it just sort of creates an, like Nicholas Winding Refn is really good at creating this atmosphere that is just something that people like. Like, I like the atmosphere of this movie, even though... The story is good, but like nothing super special. And I watched this movie. I do watch this. Like when I watched this movie, I watched it for the story to some degree. But like more than that, I'm watching it for a lot of those slower scenes that are just kind of creating that cool background ambiance that like is complemented by everything else in the movie. But just the way that he makes that he sort of creates that atmosphere is like a lot of what defines this movie and a lot of why this movie is memorable in the ways that it is yeah now that you mention it i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of uh dallas dennis villeneuve's most recent work is might have been inspired a lot by drive uh now that i think about it like arrival the tone of arrival is very similar and then also when you look at uh, Blade Runner 2049 that actually when I think about it it has it feels very similar to this movie it, down to like yeah. the casting of Ryan Gosling characters are are very similar uh the kind of the the night the nighttime passive ambiance that, that's the best way I can describe it um of the it's movie great. like like they yeah like now that I think about it I, I could totally see him, uh, Dennis Villeneuve, having watched this movie as like a big reason uh, for why he chose that that specific tone for Blade Runner. Because honestly, it felt it, it did feel different from from Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Uh, mm-hmm. 
and I think, yeah, it's like the differences kind of are shown throughout this movie. And uh, I think that's that's pretty cool that this movie could possibly have had that much influence. But now now that I think about it, I feel like there's no way this, this movie didn't inspire Blade Runner 2049 at all. I can't find hard evidence really like I can't very quickly find hard evidence that Denis Villeneuve is uh, like considers Nicholas Winding Refn an influence, but I would be shocked if somehow this movie didn't inspire at least elements of Blade Runner 2049, like at least the visuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think that's like what you said earlier is a big part of how he's able to, he's able to build that world so well. Mm-hmm. Even though I wouldn't say his uh, his story his story was as good as as Blade Runner's, but and I think that reflects also in um, in the other in the other movie we watched before, t- which was Valhalla Rising. Yeah, um, in Val. So we also yeah, I guess anyone who's hearing this has probably also heard our Valhalla Rising episode, and Valhalla Rising like. It also was best in the atmosphere that it built and like the visuals that it created. And the story was there. And I think the story, I don't know that it was necessarily better. I don't think it was better than Drive, but I think it was potentially more involved than Drive, mm-hmm. um, which may have worked to its detriment because, again, what Nicholas Winding Refn is able to do much better uh, in both of these movies is create the atmosphere that he's going for. So in Valhalla Rising, like you felt the characters and you felt like the area they were in and you felt all of that stuff. But like there is very little attachment to the actual story. And once the story did get going, it got going really quick and you didn't know what was going on because it was all in the last half hour, pretty much. Yeah, I I mean, I still don't entirely understand. It, it's like the the plot is is more a a backdrop to the visuals in Valhalla Rising. Yeah. Uh, like which, almost like a tech demo. It's like he was demoing tone though, rather than uh, instead of anything else, which is like, I can't really say I've seen much of before, but like, I will say it, it worked for what he was doing, but it's just not a re it's, it's, I, I, uh, I wouldn't say it's the greatest use of the cinematic format in my opinion. Well, I think that it's, I think that like, uh, comparing this movie to Valhalla Rising, I think that in so he directs them the same way because he's the same director for both of them. But yeah. I think that this movie benefits by not being written by him. Not that he's a bad writer, just that clearly what he's interested in doing is not conducive to, uh, I want to say, cohesive, understandable storytelling. Um, at least at a script level. Because Valhalla Rising, if you just read the script, it's going to be very, I'm sure it would be very abstract. Like, I don't really know that you could understand that movie without visuals. I hardly understood it with visuals. But yeah. this movie, <laughs> like, there is a story going on. You can kind of get, you You understand what's going on. The visuals complement everything about it because it's a very small story that, like, you know, this is... I would imagine that this is the kind of thing that's adapted from a short story in a magazine. Um, but so there's not technically very much there, but he adapts that story really well by focusing on a lot of things that aren't specifically the script. 
Yeah, and, and like I can't fault him for doing what he's good at. I guess. I just no, wish and that's what I'm saying is put more. Uh, I guess choose his scripts better. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I think that with I think with Drive he chose it pretty well because while Drive, I mean, we've said it already, it's far from a perfect movie. It is really, really well suited to him specifically. Like Martin Scorsese would have taken this movie and made it into an absolute mess. This is not a Martin Scorsese movie. I think that like what this this movie plays really well to Nicholas Winding Refn's strengths as a director, where he's able to he was able to just sort of explore this world, this very small world within this movie, um, and just sort of expand on that without um, without having to focus on the script and the plot that much like he only, and and that didn't hurt the movie where if you had given Nicholas Winding Refn a you know 400 page script that he has to adapt I feel like he could do it but it would be very strange and it probably wouldn't be very good I don't think well uh, well we'd have to see I think maybe if he was like I think it'd be cool to see him as like a cinematographer maybe or, or yeah because I guess I <laughs> Or maybe a, maybe a more abstract. Did, have you seen as any movies that he that are like really really abstract that he's made? Because I could see him doing something like like a David Lynch movie almost. Um, I really wanted to. I have not seen. I I haven't seen very much by. I've only seen these two movies by him, unfortunately. That'd be cool. Because I think I think given the right circumstances, he could very he could very capably tell a very a visual. Well, he, he already is able to tell visual stories, but if he's given something more interesting to work with, too, then he could really meld those two worlds together. I don't well, know. I'm just you know, kind of... I'm stretching it a say? bit, yeah. You know what I'm going to say here? This what? is, for the moment, this is the last episode of season one. Uh, in season one of Classic Movies Live, whatever that means we will not talk about any more movies because the next episode is season two. However, sometime during season two, we are going to talk about The Neon Demon, which is the most recent movie from Nicholas Winding Refn. It is once again a movie that he directed, produced, and wrote. And among other people, it has Keanu Reeves in it, but the poster is all pink and blue. So I imagine that it's once again a very specifically aesthetic movie i don't know if it's any good i've never seen it but we're gonna find out eventually all right cool yeah that'll be interesting so thank you guys all for listening to season one of classic movies live uh our final words are gonna be uh right after we decide whether or not we would recommend drive and we give it a score what do you think (laughs) i was gonna say i was like wow you're really going for it uh I'll say 7 out of 10, I guess. Solid movie. Actually, maybe I'd say more like a 6 out of 10. Solid movie. A little interesting um, in terms of visuals. I, I, I did kind of like the acting. I thought we didn't mention him, but Oscar Isaac was great uh, and a welcome presence. Brad Cranston was really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so like stuff like that really brought up the movie and gave it some more emotion. Yeah, I'd say it's just a solid six out of ten. Not really my type of movie, though, to be fair. And I would I would recommend watching it, though. I'm going to put it at a seven. I actually have very little bad to say about this movie, specifically. But I would say that, like, the second time I watched it, because 
that I watched it the second time for this. Um, my attention kind of waned. It's not that it's there's enough to pay attention to in this movie, and like there is stuff going on, but I just found it um it's a little uneventful, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because it's not trying to be really exciting and it's and it gets the vibe it's going for down really well but like it also i mean it also just that it's also just that there's not that much happening and um i definitely recommend this to for for all of the reasons it's aesthetically really pleasing the soundtrack is really good uh the performances are great uh, as you said, like I really liked Brian Cranston, and I can't. I'm kicking myself now for not talking more about Brian Cranston. Um, and then, I mean, and, and also like it achieves realism in a really cool way. I think Nicholas Winding Refn is really good at realism in his movies, um, from what I've seen so far. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say like seven out of ten. I liked this movie quite a bit. Cool. And, and that's, what's, that's just kind of where I'll leave it for now. What's our next movie? Well, the next movie that people are going to hear about from us is Tenet. Perfect. Because we was... went and saw Tenet. Oh, yeah. And that's the first episode of season two. Yes. Cool. So look forward to that. This is the last, mo- this is the last episode that we release out of order, hopefully. Yeah. Thank you for listening to season one. Mwah, mwah. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.